Now, it's time for the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast with Dean Linke. The National Soccer Coaches Association of America is the go-to resource for soccer coaches of any level. From advocacy, education, and networking, the NSCAA has something for everyone. Join the world's largest soccer coaches organization today. Now, here's our veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linke. Yes, this is Dean Linky. Delighted to be with you for episode nine of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. And we have another big show for you. So let's get right to the lineup. Right off the top, I am delighted to be joined by U.S. Women's Under 20 World Cup coach Michelle French, who has her team training full time for the World Cup that will be held this November in Papua New Guinea. That team features some of the hottest current and future college soccer stars in our country. And she will preview the World Cup and also talk about college soccer's impact on the international women's game. From there, we talk business and NSCA convention with Jeff Van Dusen, who will tell us about this year's clinicians at the 2017 NSCA convention in Los Angeles, including some exciting programs for college coaches. We moved to D1 after our visit with Jeff Van Dusen, and this week we feature John Trask, head coach of the Wisconsin men's soccer team, who is back in the top 25 for the first time in several years. John has major league soccer experience, spent time under the godfather, Jerry Yagley, and he is a great ambassador for the college game. On the women's side, sure, the ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, and SEC get the lion's share of the attention, but what about our mid-majors? High Point University in High Point, North Carolina has won the Big South, and Marty Beal has the Panthers trying to get into the NCAA tournament for the fourth time in his eight years at High Point. He's on the program. In the D2 world, the number one team in the country for D2 men's is Wingate. And their 25-year head coach, Gary Hamill from Northern Ireland, is also on the program. From there, we move back to the women's game as Dylan Harrison has Trinity from Texas at number three in the women's D3 rankings. And he is on the show, as is Adam Hunter, who has Butler Community College tied for number one with John Ruzan in Paradise Valley in the NJCAA Women's Division One rankings. Coach Hunter joins us, and we conclude with our weekly recap from Chad Waller and the NAIA. I love the lineup. Hope you do, too. And we start with the head coach of the U.S. Women's Under-20 World Cup team, Michelle French, after this message. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. This November in Papua New Guinea, the USA will be searching for their fourth Women's World Cup Under-20 title, and they will do it under the direction of their first-ever full-time Under-20 coach, Michelle French. Michelle French is one of the bright young coaching superstars at U.S. soccer. She played under the late, great Clive Charles from 95 to 98 at Portland, earning NSCAA All-American honors. She would go on to play all three years in the WSA, as well as other professional leagues, and she represented the USA full international team with 14 caps, winning a silver medal at the 2000 Olympics. This is her second time leading the USA into the U-20 World Cup, and she joins me now. Michelle, thanks for being with me. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. Uh, we're thrilled to have you, Michelle, and you've had your team together now for some time as you get ready for the U-20 World Cup in just a couple weeks. Talk about that process, putting the team together, and what you have been doing for the past few months during the college season. Right. It's been uh, an extremely extensive process for us to um, name our roster of 21 that, that we ended up naming I mean, um, we evaluated 100-plus players uh, over the last 18 months or so. 
And the, the college season, both last college season and this college season, um, provided a, a couple of hurdle, hurdles for us in regards to naming rosters, not only for Olympic, or not only for qualifying uh, for the World Cup, but um, for our final roster for the World Cup. So uh, we've, had, we've had a great opportunity to be able to get our eyes on a lot of players. Um, and we think uh, the 21 that, that we've named um, are not only, you know, some of the, the best college players in the college environment, but more importantly, um, they're some of the best players in, in our environment, which can be a little bit different. So uh, whether they're college players or some of the, the younger kids that are still uh, in high school, uh, we think we put together a great group. Now, Michelle, it was obviously very important for the college players to take a year off, a season off anyway, from college play mm-hmm. and join the team. Talk about what went into that process, working with both the players and with coaches that you have great relationships with. Right, so if you look back um, at the timing of previous under-20 World Cups, uh, they, with the exception of one, they've mostly fallen either extremely early in the college season or they haven't conflicted with the college season. And so... Uh, and, and looking at, at historically where, where it fell and then comparing it to this season, it, it was going to be proved to be really difficult for um, our team to have, you know, events, camp preparations, international trips during the college season because the players would not only be missing, um, respectively, their college program season, but also so much academic. So um, there was just no way for us to do the programming that we wanted to do uh, in preparation for the World Cup. It just wasn't realistic, we felt, for the players to be able to balance traveling with us, their college program, and their academics. And so we made a decision um, that we felt like this was the the best route to go to give ourselves the best chance to to be prepared as a team. I'm sure you're proud of people like Erica Dombach and Mike O'Neill and the other coaches that were affected that said, hey, take our players, go win a World Cup title. Yeah, I mean, mean, you speak about Erica, she's lost five of her players. And, you know, even if you can even look, she's still having a great season this year. So... Um, you know, there's all the college coaches, for the most part, have been 100% on board. Um, and I think that they know when they recruit, uh, you know, the best players in the country that they're going to have these opportunities to go in with uh, the youth national teams and even with the senior team, as we saw with Andy Sullivan and, and Jane going in. So, um, you know, I couldn't be more thankful to those college coaches, as you mentioned, you know, whether it's Erica, whether it's Anson who lost to uh, Teresa at Notre Dame, you know, these coaches have been uh, ex- extremely supportive of this process. Um, I'm really grateful for that. And, of course, we continue to see women's college soccer play such a key role in the international game, not just for the USA, but Canada, Mexico, New Zealand, other countries. It's pretty amazing, Coach. It is. You have a bunch of schools that have the Canadian players on their teams, you know, as you mentioned, New Zealand with Mexico. Um, so we're not, the, we're not the only country that, you know, gets hit with players, you know, being pulled in different directions. Um, but again, really grateful uh, that there's been the flexibility of those college coaches to allow us to, you know, have their players with us and hopefully go win a World Cup. In your group, you have France, New Zealand, and Ghana. Talk about that group and some of the challenges you face against all three teams. I mean, interestingly enough, all of those other teams, uh, their players are actually more experienced than ours because if you look at all three teams, they all have uh, women's professional leagues in their in their countries where those younger players are actually already playing in it. So they're competing against women um, at at definitely a younger age, whereas our players, while college is an extremely great avenue for development for our players, it's not the same as playing against women uh, every weekend. If you look at at France, they're four-time UEFA U19 champions, um, and when you're getting – that exposure to that type of game, you know, every year, every two years, um, they can't help but develop, you know, and historically they've been, you know, one of the most successful teams as well in the youth age group. So 
um, you know, that'll be a big handful for us having them with the first game out. Uh, then you look at New Zealand. They've got four players that traveled to Brazil with their Olympic team. I think two of them were alternates but, and two were on the roster. But they've got that experience. They've got three players that just played in the U-17 World Cup. Um, so, uh, again, that group, again, has a lot of experience. And then uh, with Ghana, Ghana always seems to be a handful uh, for us just because we don't, as a country, play against teams that necessarily man mark very often. So it's a different challenge for us to have to deal with. And similarly, they've got players that um, on their roster that have, are playing currently in Europe, um, and they also have a professional league in Ghana as well. So a lot of experience that those teams have. Um, for our group, we have – three that were on our U20 roster, World Cup roster last cycle. Um, one of them, obviously, is, is Molly Pugh, who played for us at the time and has been with the women. But with Kaylee Real and Rose Chandler, neither of them played um, in the World Cup, but obviously they were there with us and got the feeling of that experience. And then we have Ashley coming back from the U17 World Cup. So uh, because this group uh, didn't qualify for the U17 World Cup, this is going to be a brand-new experience for the majority of our team. Amazing breakdown, Michelle. Thanks so much for that. Now let's turn back to you. You've had some amazing coaching influence, led, I would think, by your college coach at Portland, the late, great Clive Charles. Anybody who's ever met him loved him. What impact did he have on you? I cannot say enough about Clive. It would take me you know, hours to go through everything that he taught me, but I think the biggest takeaway for me when I look back, and you know, obviously as a player, you know, I, when I would have conversations with him, just how simple he made everything, how enjoyable he made the game. Um, it, there were never pressure-filled moments. It was always earn your right to play, enjoy playing. Um, and that's something that I just try to get across to the players because we, have, we are so fortunate to be in such a great country where we're supported by U.S. soccer and these players get to come in spend time together, get a great training environment. And I, but at the end of the day, I want them to appreciate it and understand how fortunate they are and then have a great time doing it because it, don't, it doesn't last that long. So uh, Clive was, was extremely instrumental in, in my vision as a coach and in how I am. And um, I, I wish he was still around. <laughs> I'd love to talk to him. Oh, we all do. And you've also worked under Jill Ellis, both at UCLA and with the USA. What have you learned from Jill? And perhaps who are some other coaches, Michelle, that have paved the way for you? Fortunate is, I mean, is, I wish that there was a bigger word than that, but, you know, Jill has been great, um, especially over these last two years since she's been uh, with the women because, you know, she's been so inviting to have uh, youth national team coaches into the environment that she's created there. And then for me to be able to go to the World Cup and the Olympics um, on staff with them, uh, you know, I think it's changed me tremendously over the last two years just as a coach, just in the way that you dissect the game and the way that you look at an opponent, um, and the way that you can make very subtle tactical adjustments, um, you know, creating a specific culture. You know, Jill has been been massive for me in regards to my development. And, and so is Tony and, and Steve, you know, Steve Swanson and Tony Gustafson, her, their, her assistant. So, uh, you know, just to be a part of that winning culture in that environment, uh, I think has changed me a ton. And hopefully I can carry some of that um, positive stuff in, uh, into our U-20 World Cup. But, um, you know, I've also... Uh, been around April a ton since I've been hired, um, you know, and she's she's been a great mentor to me for many years since I started coaching uh, with U.S. soccer. So uh, to be able to be around so many people that have so much experience and knowledge and who are so willing to be supportive and, and you know, lift us up as younger coaches, uh, I feel really blessed. In 2008, you were diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and you made a full recovery. Tell us about that experience and how it shaped you, Michelle. Uh, you know, actually, yesterday was the anniversary of just, you know, finding out that I had it. So 
kind of interesting timing that you asked that, but um, I, it was completely out of the blue. You never, you know, expect something like that to happen to you. I felt healthy. I felt, you know, I was still, I was young. And um, it's one of those things I attacked it with the same mentality that I think I've developed as an athlete when you get an injury. You know, as soon as I found out, I was like, okay, what's the problem? What's the solution? How many weeks is it going to take? How many months is it going to take? Let's have it all laid out and just knock it out and get it done. And, and fortunately, um, I was able to do that. Michelle, back to your World Cup squad, led by so many great players, including Mallory Pugh, who you already mentioned, and she looks to be the next USA superstar, as well as Ashley Sanchez. First, Mallory, how good is she, Michelle? And who are some other players we need to remember right now? Well, if anybody's watched the women play, you can you can see that the impact that, that Mal can have um, when she's on the field. She's extremely dynamic. She's sophisticated. She's fluid with the ball. She moves effort, effortlessly with it. Uh, you know, and I think one of the things that I've been most impressed with her uh, when she's come into our group and been with us is she's the exact same player. She's extremely humble. Um, the players love to be around her. She makes people around her better. And probably the biggest thing is just her leadership. Um, we just played Venezuela um, about three weeks ago, and I think she probably had, I can't even remember how many goals. She had probably had five goals and three assists in our two games. But she was, I she came off the field and I was like, I'm more impressed with the leadership that she had, whether it was her work rate, whether it was organizing. Uh, you know, and that's, that's a big growth process for her because, you know, she was with us the last cycle and she was a young pup. And now with all the experience she's gained, um, she's been tremendous. So, and then with uh, Ashley, Ashley's been in and out with us just because she's had her um, time to be with the U17. But um, you know, she is obviously another one of those young players who just reads the game a little bit differently, moves a little bit differently with the ball, um, and can be extremely creative when she's on the ball. Um, you know, we're excited to have her come back in after her U17 World Cup experience um, because I know she's going to be she's going to continue to be hungry. Uh, and, and play a big role for us. And knowing everything you know about this tournament and the quality of the 16 teams, the USA will win their fourth U-20 World Cup title if they do what, Michelle? Stick to the game plan. I think I think that's the biggest thing. Before we go into every game, you know, there's a lot of things that we have to cover with the team. And I think I think I know we're going to be prepared. Now it's just a matter of going out on it and executing it um, on a daily basis. And we've got to... It's the cliche, but we literally have to go one game at a time. It's going to be step by step instead of looking at, we can't wait to lift the big trophy. Let's get there. We can do it. I mean, every game matters. Every single game, every goal you score, every goal you give up, um, and every way you approach each game. So um, I think if we can stick to the things that we've been layering in slowly throughout the cycle, I think we have a good chance. Finally, we've seen you at the NSCA convention over the years. What has that event and the NSCAA meant to you in your development? Well, I actually just got, I think I just got the email about the, the next convention. I was looking at the people that were presenting. I mean, the NSCAA has done a tremendous job um, in regards to bringing in fantastic speakers, presenters, coaches uh, who run the training sessions. You know, as you said, I've been fortunate enough to, to be at those um, off and on and really learn from play, from different coaches, whether they're from other countries, whether they're from the MLS, um, you know, former men's national team coaches. Uh, it's always good to be able to, you know, 
spark my brain a little bit and think things a little bit, think about things a little bit differently. And I think the convention always does that for me. Michelle French, head coach of the USA Women's Under 20 World Cup team featuring so many outstanding college players. Thanks for being with us and good luck in the World Cup. We're pulling for you, Michelle. Thanks, Dean. I appreciate it. Great stuff from Michelle French. When we come back, Jeff Van Dusen, the director of events for the NSCAA and the man pulling the strings for the NSCA convention in Los Angeles January, will join us to talk about this year's featured clinicians and special sessions for the college coach. Jeff Van Dusen is next after this message. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com. So great to start the show with U.S. Women's Under-20 World Cup head coach Michelle French. She was delightful. Now we switch to big business. The 2017 NSCAA convention, which will be held January 11 through 15 in Los Angeles. And to do that, we are joined by the NSCAA's Director of Operations and Events, the ever-busy Jeff Van Dusen, who took over that job in January of 2011 after 16 years as a head soccer coach, including four successful years from 2007 to 2011 as the head coach of the U Indy Greyhound women's soccer team. Jeff, thanks for being on the program. Great to be here, Dean. Thanks a lot. Jeff, 16 years, you coached 22 seasons. I could not believe that when I read that because honestly, you look like you're about 29. Talk about your time as a head coach. My time as a head coach at, at the college level started out at the NAI level and then went on to the Division II level. Bounced around a little bit for years and was able to start a couple programs, Hastings College, basically in the men, then moved on to Missouri Southern, started the women's program there, and also coached the men for four years each at the same, you know, at the same time. Then went to Central Missouri, NCAA tournament appearance there after in four years, and then moved on to the University of Indianapolis. Had an NCAA tournament there, and now living in Kansas City and home of the NSCA. Yeah, well, during that time, the NSCA already had their hands on you because you were already helping with the convention, so when they called and said, hey, we want you full-time, it wasn't that big a stretch, right, Jeff? I always kind of knew my career was going to go in the lines of administration and felt I can make a huge impact on the soccer community, you know, educate and giving opportunities to educate coaches throughout the whole United States at all levels and make a bigger impact and using the convention as, as that platform. Okay, another convention coming up in Los Angeles, going to be under the bright Hollywood lights. How excited, Jeff, are you about this year's convention in L.A.? You know, this one, as we say all the time, could be the best one yet. We haven't been to the West Coast in 22 years. Members have been saying, hey, we want to go somewhere warm. Well, we're going somewhere warm. Los Angeles will be right Right downtown in the uh, LA Live District, right by the Staples Center and convention centers, right there, and all uh, you know the hotels, and it's going to be a great atmosphere for a convention that you're used to. But you'll be able to walk outside without a jacket. We have a unbelievable lineup of presenters. 
It's really amazing. We just released that schedule yesterday. You can find it on nscaconvention.com. All right, we're going to get to that, but let's first focus on the college coaches. Tell us what are some can't-miss events, seminars, and courses for college coaches, Jeff. There's a couple of different types of sessions this year that really can help give access to some of the top-level coaches that we have in our country and throughout the game. These spotlight sessions that we have, two of them are Bruce Arena and Siggy Schmidt. Then we have another one with Chris Klein that really give a good opportunity to listen to their philosophies and, and get to pick their brain a little bit as far as how they've been successful. You know, they've been pretty successful college coaches themselves and players with Chris Klein. So excited about that. We also have Raymond Verhine with the ever popular topic of uh, periodization. He'll be able to give a special private session to college coaches that is not on the master schedule, but we're just only opening that up for college coaches. And of course, there's also the college coaches reception, a lot of networking events. Uh, They'll be busy, right, Jeff? You got it. That college coaches reception, we're working on some enhancements with that and all our college services members will be able to get a ticket and uh, go to that reception. Of course, that's going to be hosted by you now. That's one of the upgrades that we've got with this college uh, coaches reception and look forward to that time for coaches to get together and network. And I've never met a college coach that doesn't tell a good story. So that's always a good time there. So the other things that we have available for college coaches at the convention is we are going to have a junior college combine. That'll be on Friday night. Basically, it's going to be a men's and women's opportunity for the top junior colleges, kids that are uncommitted to play. And that'll be right in the convention center. And I can't thank AstroTurf enough. We just signed a deal with them to have turf at the convention and that has upgraded the demonstration sessions uh, tremendously. So that'll be on turf and available for college coaches to go and recruit some players. And we also have the showcase that'll be available just up the road a little bit and that's done with uh, elite tournaments. Some of the other college coaches opportunities, uh, I want Uh, the head coaches to bring their assistants. We have a special U30 coaches experience that gets those coaches that are under 30 years of age a discount. It's also an opportunity for them to participate in that U30 coaches experience that gives them a lot of hands-on networking opportunities and learning how to be a professional and what college coaching is all about. And then some of the presenters that we have that are obviously top level in the game, technical directors, international technical directors. Jurgen Klinsmann will be there to give his philosophies, but we also have a lot of the top college coaches presenting. We have an insider series that looks into the UCLA women's program and to the Santa Barbara program by Tim Van Steeg. There's several of the 250 education opportunities in LA that are really geared toward college coaches. Uh, looking forward to it. Called some big games over the years as part of the NSCA game of the week at Santa Barbara. Tim Van Steeg does an amazing job. I will be sure to go to that session. In one sentence or two, what makes the convention so special? In other words, Jeff, why should any person who coaches or is even thinking about coaching attend the convention? Well, I don't know if I can do that in two, a couple sentences, but it really reminds me of preseason where at the college level when it was really eat, sleep, drink, talk, walk, soccer for five days. It's an opportunity to network. It's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to make an impact on the game. The biggest thing is, is after the holidays, it it always re-energized me into going into the spring season. That's an opportunity for you as a college coach to try some new things, not only on the field, but there's a lot of topics that uh, focus on team management and team culture and 
things along those lines. So I think there's many opportunities for college coaches. I love it. I knew you couldn't do it in two sentences, Jeff, but we love you anyway, so no worries. Finally, uh, how could people sign up, Jeff, because there's still time to register, right? You got it. We've got uh, nscaaconvention.com. Go there and, and just go to the registration page. It's got all the discounts. We've got group discounts for coaches that want to bring their staff or maybe combine with the other gender at that school and come up with a group discount. We've got the U30 discounts, so bring the assistants. It's all right there on nscaaconvention.com. nscaaconvention.com. It's all right there, as he said, including all the clinicians. you got to check it out. The ageless wonder, the always affable Jeff Van Dusen. Jeff, thanks for being with us, and thanks uh, for all you do for the NSCAA. Thank you, Dean, and thank you for everything that you do. The the voice of the NSCA is everybody's listening to you, Dean, so thank you very much. What a great start to the show. Michelle French, head coach of the USA Under-20 Women's World Cup team. Jeff Van Dusen from the NSCAA Talking Convention will roll right into Division I soccer, beginning with Wisconsin men's head coach John Trask around the corner. The 2017 NSCAA Convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com. Time now to talk D1 men's soccer and Maryland under the direction of Sasho Sarosky. Our first ever guest on this program is still undefeated and number one in the country. And I'll be calling the Maryland-Michigan game on Sunday, 1 p.m. live on the Big Ten Network. I certainly hope you can tune in. The ACC's Wake Forest Demon Deacons and North Carolina Tar Heels, coached by Bobby Muse and Carlos Samuano, respectively, are two and three. Jamie Franks, who we featured last week, has Denver at number four. And Mike Noonan's Clemson Tigers are at number five. From the Big Ten. Todd Yegley's Indiana Hoosiers are number 10. Damon Rensing, who's already been on the program, has the Michigan State Spartans at number 13. They beat Notre Dame last night, and here they come, sitting at number 24 in the nation and sure to move up. The Wisconsin Badgers, led by John Trask, who through six seasons as head coach of the Wisconsin men's soccer program, has revived with the enthusiasm and excitement that once made the program a perennial Big Ten and NCAA title contender. I love John's journey. He played at Indiana under the godfather Jerry Yeagley, then became a coach under Yeagley from 91 to 99 before jumping to Major League Soccer, where he served as an assistant with Miami, D.C. United, and F.C. Dallas before getting the top job at UIC, where he was until 2009 before joining the Badgers in 2010. He had a huge year in 2013, leading the Badgers to the NCAAs and a win, and he has them knocking on that door again. John, thanks for being with me. John, you got a program that looks good, a little mixture of some international superstars, an acrobatic goalkeeper, a junior class that might be one of the best in the country. It's your floor. Tell us why this team could make a serious run. Just really excited how this team's developed. Uh, it took a couple of years. I knew it was a special group, and we've been adding pieces along the way. Obviously, Sam Brotherton, a New Zealand international, who's our captain now as a sophomore, and then the two German players who joined us this year, uh, Philip Schilling, who's having an outstanding season in goal for us, who's a graduate student, and then uh, Noah Leibold. Originally, his dad's from Indiana, but uh, he grew up his whole life uh, living 
in, uh, in Mainz, wanted to go to university in the United States. Unfortunately for us, decided the University of Wisconsin was the right place for him. All right. You've been fighting and clawing, trying to get some respect there. Now you do have your team in the NSCA Top 25. What does that mean for you and Badger soccer? You know, I always tell the guys, uh, you know, it's nice to be ranked in preseason or early in the season, but I think... You know, the key with any successful program, whether it be MLS, a national team, it's how you complete the journey. And I'm so proud of our guys. We have one loss over the last month to the number one team in the country and went toe-to-toe with Maryland at their place, which is never an easy endeavor for any team. We're playing some of the best soccer of the year, and we, we hope people are taking notice. You know, one of the main criteria is, are you hot when it counts? We feel like we're pretty hot right now. How about that game against your alma mater, Indiana, just last week? An unbelievable soccer match. It was a great game. I mean, uh, we had some alumni to my house after the game, and, and everybody said, you know, it's, when people talk about exciting 0-0 games, it was exciting as there could have been. Indiana had chances to win it. We had chances to win it. I don't think anyone didn't feel like they got their dollar value for their ticket. It was it was a great college soccer game. And the one thing I told my guys after the game was, you can win a fight against Mayweather by a haymaker. And we've had some good results over Indiana the last few years. But this is the first time I felt we went toe-to-toe, discipline, all the things that I believe in as a coach. Went toe-to-toe with Indiana. There were no gimmicks. I know Todd in the Indiana program, they've never had to use gimmicks to win games. It's about having good players and uh, a disciplined performance and made for a great game. It was very competitive, a lot of high-level guys, a lot of guys that are going to have a chance to play at the next level. So it it was a great game and always interesting when I play Indiana just with my roots obviously. Let's stick with Indiana because you played and coached under the godfather Jerry Yeagley an NSCAA honor award winner. What did it mean? What did you learn? Share us the the godfather legacy please. When I look at coach and I still call him coach. He was my mentor he was my coach at Indiana coach did it all. Uh, I was joking with him recently. I've got 100 wins I guess in, in college soccer and I believe he's north of 550. I said, I'm going to catch you when I'm 250 years old. (laughs) He did so much for the sport, continues till this day. I don't see him as often as I would like, but just seeing he and Marilyn at the convention and all the people that he's touched from youth coaches to high school coaches to guys that are professional coaches and, and all of us in the college game. I know when you say the godfather, it's meant in a very endearing way because of the legacies he's left for us. And it's not just what he did on the field with his team. It's the support that he's given everybody in the sport, every college program. You don't hear a bad word about him from anyone. And how much more could a man do? I I can't even put the numbers in perspective when you think about a single elimination tournament, how many times his team was in the final, how many times he was in the final four. I was telling our academic advisor yesterday from 1974 to 1992, Indiana never lost a Big Ten game, and it was a different time. Tim Linehan wasn't at Northwestern. There's been a lot of things that have improved in the Big Ten Conference, but when you think about that, from 1974 to 1992, that's just amazing. A lot of great things are going on in the conference. I know he's excited about that. He loves to see the competition. I know he'd love to see Indiana on top every year. 
the addition of Maryland and Rutgers. It's a great time to be involved in soccer in this country, and I know he feels that way. John, why the jump to Major League Soccer? And give us some highlights of your stints in Miami, D.C., and Dallas, please. You know, I've been with Coach for 10 years and had a chance to meet Ray Hudson, the legendary commentator who had gotten the job in Miami. I knew the general manager, Doug Hamilton, who's who since left us. You know, I'd heard from a lot of our former players from Indiana that at that point, MLS needed, call them soccer heads, or guys that had a passion and knew the game and could help cultivate the professional game. And I look back on that time, I was in my 30s. It was a wonderful experience, most importantly, because I ended up with a second mentor in my life, Ray Hudson, who really allowed me to become the coach I I am, I think, today. He gave me a lot of ability to work with players. And when you get a chance to work with a Nick Romando, a Beckerman, a a Pablo Mastroni, Precchi, I can go on and on and on. It makes you feel like you're you're doing something important for the game in this country. And it's interesting, Dean, I look across the league, you know, Ben Olsen, Oscar Perea, Caleb Porter, you know, Pat Noonan's an assistant at, at the Galaxy, Jeff Kassar, all those guys played for me. Hmm. Jason Christ. So not only are they friends, they're former players of mine that now are coaching at the level that this country needs. And it's it's just great. It's great to see soccer where it is these days. So what pulled you back to the college game, the job at UIC? You get to a point to the pro game. It takes a lot out of you. I started to see the kind of writing on the wall that it was going to be tough for me to get a head job. Not that I didn't enjoy being an assistant. You know, after we got let go at DC United and made the playoffs, I just felt if the right college opened up in University of Illinois, Chicago, I was born pretty close to the school. It just felt right at that time in my life. I waited a long time to be a head coach, but I'm happy I did, but it was a perfect spot, and I had some tremendous players. I mean, Baggio, who said it still plays for the LA Galaxy, had some great teams, some great memories, worked for a great man and Jim Schmidt there, and eventually Wisconsin came calling, and the lure to get back in the Big Ten was just, it was too good an opportunity to pass up. Yeah, so talk about that, because the ties to Indiana were still there, right? Todd Yegley went there for one year and then got called back by Indiana to take over the Hoosiers, the connections so close. How did all that go down, John? Well, you know, fortunately for me, I guess I had been reached out to previously by Wisconsin. When Todd came up here for a year, I was able to gain a lot more inside knowledge to the support and what Wisconsin wanted to do with the men's soccer program. Once I had that information, it made it a lot easier. It took a while for me to get over what happened to Jim Wander. Um, after he won the national championship, though I never played for him, I had a ton of respect for what he and Bill Redden did at, at the Wisconsin program. And, you know, in my own personal way, I'm, I'm a pretty loyal guy. I just, I wasn't sure. But once Todd was able to kind of fill in the blanks for me, Wisconsin made a lot of sense. And, and I grew up in Milwaukee. It's, it's my home state. Even though I'm always be a Hoosier, I, I feel like I'm also a Badger at heart. That's who I grew up supporting as a kid. Well, you've had to clean the cupboards a couple times at Wisconsin. Now this cycle here with this great junior class, are you ready to make a deep run? I think we've got the type of team. You know, we're very stingy defensively. We've got an excellent back line, a goalkeeper. We believe in team defending. But we also, we can score goals, and we can do it in a multitude of ways. You know, last night we had two head balls from the run of play. I hadn't seen that out of this group yet. You know, we're scoring goals, I wouldn't say in bunches, 
we're scoring plenty of enough goals to win games, which I think is important. But we're also very strong defensively. We've had quite a few shutouts. And Philip Schilling keeps the team, he and, he and Brotherton, in the back of the team. I mean, there's a good energy about us. I also believe we're the type of team as the weather gets colder. You know, I think the Indiana teams have always been very good like that as well. you got to be tough. Houston, in early December might not be 70 degrees out. And to get there, you've got to play some games in the northern part of the country in some tough conditions, whether it's windy, rainy, snowing. We all know the history of the game. I just think we've got the type of team that really, really could do something special this year. I told you, Maryland, we're going to feature on the Big Ten Network on Sunday. Maryland, Michigan, they're undefeated. They're number one. They're from the Big Ten. Are they the team to beat? What might be some other teams to beat as you chase for the College Cup? No question. Maryland, we had a great game with them. You know, they beat us in overtime. A lot of talent, as I said, after playing them. They remind me some of the best Indiana teams. They remind me a bit of Caleb Porter's Akron team. There's a lot of future pros. They've got goal scorers. They've got defenders. They can beat you in, in a ton of different ways. Obviously, the teams in the in the ACC, I have tons of respect for Mike Noonan and the Clemson program. You look, you know, Notre Dame, I mean, historically, the ACC is going to be there. We think the Big Ten is very strong, and I think some of our recent results are starting to show that. Regardless of who we're playing out of conference, it seems like we're starting to really do some damage. So that's great. We all felt we were better than maybe the record showed early in the season, and to see the uptick by, you know, the Northwesterns, the Ohio State, the Big Ten is now starting to really ramp it up, which is what we always figure we've got a great coaching group and uh, a lot of great kids in this conference and some very high level soccer players finally john trask one of the things that always makes me smile as i think about you i love talking to you period so it's great to have you on this program but for so many years i look out at the nscaa college soccer awards and there you are sitting at the yegley table and you know you could be anywhere else and i know you weren't there last year but pretty much every year you are there just recognizing the history of the nscaa why do you do that i love seeing you there john funny of all the things that coach I think has been proud in whatever he's seen of me over the years I think one thing he's always respected is Friday night to me that's the highlight of the week at the convention it's not just seeing friends and telling stories and connecting with new people which is massive it's respecting what's been done before and you know Dean when the national anthem hits I look up in the sky and I think about Mike Berticelli and Glenn Muchmeyer at people that I admired that did so much for the game. I looked up yesterday before we played Western Illinois, and it was a nod to Carlos Alberto, who was a wonderful footballer from the Brazilian teams and the Cosmos. It's interesting because Jay Vitovich has said it to me. You, you're always the one that makes sure you raise the glass to the people before you. And I think, and one day, you know, all of us won't be here. I think it's just so important. There's been such hard work put in by the people in this country and the Red Aprons to see Coach Yeagley age. The work of Walter Barr and, you know, what the 1950 team did. If we forget that history, and hopefully people remember the early years of MLS. I know they talk about 4.0 or 3.0, and it's exciting to see the expansion. But the game has been alive and well for a long, long time in this country. And I think back, the reason I have a passion is because a bunch of ethnic men, starting with Bob Gansler and some other people in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, helped put a passion in a young player. And Mike Perticelli was one of the funniest people I've ever met. He was wonderful. We lost him too early. Mooch, 
I did my licensing under Mooch. I had the utmost respect for that man. If we always remember that, and that's our way to put on a tie Friday night and sit there and honor, whether it's a high school coach, a junior college coach, everybody's doing great things for the game in this country. And, you know, Dean, I want to thank you, all the work you put in, as well as just the NSCAA. It's, I get asked that when I go around the world. How is the game in America? It's fantastic. And it's growing. We see it, whether it's Christian Pulisic from Landon Donovan and Demarcus, the babies from, you know, it's just everything's getting better. And it's fun to watch. You know, now at 50 years old, I could put a little perspective on it. It really is fun to watch. You are a true historian, and I think it's one of those things that people don't know about you as well as your your heart and love for the game at all levels. And I see it at the NSCA convention, and I get to see it as part of the Big Ten Network. It's an honor to spend this time with you, John, and uh, I can't wait for people to hear your story and also your passion and appreciation for the game, including the history. I'm all about that as well, John. So thanks for sharing that, and uh, good luck. I love your team. I think it's a team nobody's going to want to mess with. Hope to see you in uh, Indianapolis as well in the semifinals of the Big Ten Tournament. Thanks, Dean. Have fun at that game. That should be a great one between Maryland and Michigan. Hmm. How about John Trast? Does that guy love and respect the game here in this country or what? Great visit with JT. When we come back, we'll talk Division I women's soccer, that and more, as the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast rolls on. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linke. I want to thank Michelle French for being with us. Also, Jeff Van Dusen. Great spending time with John Trask as well. Now it's time to take a look at the NSCA Division I women's soccer scene as this is the final weekend before conference tournaments start up and the competitive balance at the D1 level is simply amazing. This despite the fact that our first guest, Michelle French, has some of the best college talent on her USA Under-20 World Cup roster. Looking at the most recent NSCA Top 25, little movement this week as Nikki Izzo-Brown, been on the program, hangs on to the number one spot with Shelly Smith, also on the show, keeping South Carolina at number two. Paul Ratcliffe has Stanford at number three, USC is number four, and BYU under Jennifer Rockwood is at number five. Mark Krikorian's Florida State Seminoles are number eight, and Anson Dorrance's University of North Carolina Tar Heels are number 16. And I will have that game with Heather O'Reilly Thursday night, 7 o'clock on E. ESPN3 as part of the ACC Network Extra. Tune in to see the Tar Heels and the Seminoles. Women's soccer should be a good one. Now, often lost in the shuffle as the ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, and SEC dominate the top 25 is our mid-major conferences, which also send worthy teams to the NCAA tournament every single year, including the winner of the Big South tournament. Well, High Point has already won the Big South regular season, and they're trying to make the NCAA tournament for the fourth time in eight years under the direction of their most successful women's coach ever, Marty Beal. His team is 11-5-2 overall, 11-1-2 against teams not from the Power Five, and in those games, the Panthers have allowed only seven goals and just two in Big South Conference games. Outside of UNC Asheville, their only losses have come against NC State, Kentucky, Clemson, and Duke. Pretty good teams, and Marty joins me now. Marty, pleasure to be with you. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, Dean. Well, delighted to be with you. And uh, just for full disclosure, I need everybody to know that as part of the Fox Soccer Game of the Week, which I did for over 10 years, we rolled into High Point University, and I rolled out of there so impressed that I came home and told my oldest son, you got to check out High Point. And guess what? $50,000 per year later, my son is now <laughs> at High Point University, and he's loving every minute of it, Coach. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it is phenomenal. And I guess uh, – before we get going talking about your team, give our listeners an idea how special this place is because it's pretty hard to describe. Yes, I mean, High Point University is a very unique place. Uh, you know, what makes it so special is it's not the unbelievable amenities and buildings and facilities, but it's the people that work here that, you know, they go out of their way to, to make sure that the environment is one that each student um, can be as successful as they want to be. Um, the students here just have to work. And uh, it, I think that's what makes it so unique and special is that, you know, the, the amenities are here, but it's the, the professors, the, the workers, everybody that goes out of their way to, to help each student be as successful as they can be. Oh, it's incredible. They have success coaches. And my son, who was a pretty good athlete, not the best student, is rolling in with a 397 after a year and a half. Wow. Yeah, awesome. it is. I mean, it's because they have wrapped their arms around him. So congratulations to you on that. But now let's talk some soccer, okay? You uh, went to college at Francis Marion. You coached there for 10 years, six as the head coach. Talk about how your time at Francis Marion prepared you for this job. You know, starting out, you know, with Division II, um, you know, successful Division II program, uh, you just learn how to do everything. You know, as a, as a coach at Division II level, you don't have a full staff to assist and do everything. And uh, so that's a great learning experience for you. you know, so you learn all the ins and outs of every little detail that goes into, you know, running a program and, and making the program as successful as it can be. And you just carry that on to the next level where, you know, now I have a staff, and so I'm able to help the staff learn how to do things and, and manage them in the right way. Talk about getting the call from High Point, that interview process, what went down? Yeah, you know, this is a, the right timing for me, and uh, I, I wanted the job and knew the direction that the university was going in. And uh, when the athletic director uh, gave me a call and, and offered me the job, you know, it was, just, it was an immediate yes. There was no hesitation whatsoever um, because I knew – uh, I've read so much about what Dr. Nita Cobain has been doing at the university and the direction of the university that I knew it was the right fit for me. All right. Here you are now in your eighth year. You've already won the regular season, but we all know that's great, but you got to win the tournament to get in the yep. NCAAs. So talk about uh, your preparation for the tournament because you can't let down, right, Coach? Yeah, exactly. And thankfully, you know, we have a very experienced group, and, and they understand that process. You know, they They've attacked the entire conference and non-conference season as an opportunity to grow and get better. And now they know, you know, that that doesn't stop. You know, just because we enter the conference tournament doesn't mean we have arrived. Um, it just means that now it gets a little bit more serious. And so uh, the players, you know, be out of training tonight, and uh, you know, we're training all, leading all the way up into Sunday's match, and give everything we have to you know to Charleston Southern, who you know, have some players that they can hurt you. And uh, if we don't take them seriously, then, then we'll be out. And that's one of the things that our girls understand that. And they're, they're definitely going to be fully prepared for Sunday. All right. I already mentioned my son's GPA. I understand GPA is pretty important to your women's soccer team yeah. as well. Yes, indeed. Academics are the priority. And so, uh, again, the culture that we've built here over the past eight years has really um, laid the framework that recruits come here knowing that academics are the priority. And you know, we've averaged a 3.5 GPA, you know, every semester here. So um, that's something that's a testament to our players that they, you know, focus on the right things. They keep their priorities in check, 
and, uh, and do a great job academically. So clearly you have some smart, talented young ladies on the field. What's the best way to describe Marty Beal High Point Panther women's soccer? <laughs> uh, I'd say it's a very resilient and hardworking program. Um, you know, the, in college soccer, it's a grind. It's a, it's a sprint, and you have to be resilient. You're going to take bumps in the road, and, and you have to just keep pushing forward, and that's something that, you know, we've built our culture here around that uh, being resilient motto and um, and understanding that you can't do anything without everybody around you. Uh, so it's not a star-led team. It's a, it's a team that is just full of players who are completely sold out for each other and working their tails off for each other. If I walked up to Robbie Church right now, who led Duke to the College Cup final, and they played you guys this year, what will he say about your team? Probably the same thing. You know, after the game, you know, we played them, and our girls uh, never backed down and competed really hard against you know one of the best teams in the country. And and he said that he said you know he was so impressed by the work rate of our players and and how they've bought into our defensive system and how we want to attack. Um, you know, so it's it's a, definitely a, a nice. Um, reminder and reassurance to, to have you know one of my mentors in Robbie Church to you know say something like that about a team that I coach. So do you play Marty, NC State, Kentucky, Clemson, and Duke with an eye on winning that Big South tournament so your team has a little bit of idea what it's going to take to win an NCAA tournament game? Yes, 100%. We schedule those types of games in the non-conference portion to expose our players to a faster, more athletic squad. Um and to work on things that, that we want to work on to get better for our own conference play. Um, but then also, you know, looking at, okay, if we're fortunate and we, you know, get the job done in the conference tournament, we make the NCAAs that we've been there. You know, we've played teams at that level. And so our girls don't go into those games, you know, uh, like with a deer in headlights look, um, but they really go after them and attack them. You mentioned the amenities, the stadium that you guys play at, the press box, everything. In fact, when I did the game with Fox Soccer, I thought it was amazing, but Mr. Cobain didn't think so. They knocked it down and built a bigger one. I mean, just talk about your facility. It's pretty nice. Yeah, you know, uh, we added a couple sports. We added men's and women's lacrosse to the to the athletic department, and um, you know, they needed to expand space. And thankfully, uh, Dr. Cobain is a visionary, and he looks down the road in the future to see you know, what the athletic department uh, will look like. And uh, he decided to build a, a building here at our stadium that houses our men's and women's soccer programs and our men's and women's lacrosse programs. And all of our offices are here. Our training room is here. Um, each uh, sport, each of these four sports have a player lounge and a player locker room. Um, so it's great. You know, we have one of the finest uh, facilities in the nation. And you know, our players get to come right here, and their field is right next to their locker room. Their academic services are right here in their locker room. Um, the training room, our offices, uh, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. It's an unbelievable setup. All right, Coach, we started the show talking to Michelle French, the head coach of the U.S. Under-20 Women's World Cup team that features the best of the best in college at the under-20 age and future college stars. And she went on about the fact that the college game is helping international soccer, not just for the USA team, but for Canada and Mexico and New Zealand and other countries as well. Have you ever seen women's college soccer so strong, so much parity, so much competitiveness? Absolutely not. Uh, you know, this day and age um – you know, players are, are coming into the college game so much more experienced um, and uh, so much more versatile. And uh, I think that that helps, you know, even the mid-major teams. You know, the, the mid-major programs are so much stronger now than what they were eight years ago. You know, when I got into the Division One program and, you know, I took Francis Marion from Division Two to Division One, and, 
you know, we stepped on the field, you know, 10 years ago with that team uh, against Division One teams. And, you know, there's, it's a completely night and day difference uh, at the mid-major level than what it was 10 years ago. And uh, you know, it's certainly a, a definite quality that the Division One programs have definitely risen to. And, uh, you know, the, the players, the youth players are working so much harder now and dedicating themselves more and more to, to the game and to being a better player and a better athlete. That is just it's raising the whole level of college soccer without a doubt. All right. I tell my sophomore at High Point University, Benjamin Lee Linky, to round up his flatmates and come on over to check out the High Point University Panthers women's soccer team. Who are a couple players he should know before he walks in the door? Oh, wow. Um, hopefully he definitely comes on Sunday. Come to bring his friend Sunday. <laughs> you got it. Uh, but Kelsey Perrell is uh, our senior captain. Uh, she's our forward leading goal scorer and um, – uh, she's fun to watch. Uh, she is a tireless worker. Uh, she really makes things happen for us on the offensive side and the defensive side. Um, I think she's a, a fantastic player to watch. Uh, Paige Lloyd, a center back for us, has been our mainstay. Um, really cleans up things for us and uh, is a great ball winner and um, is fearless back there. And then you have Alex Hank, our goalkeeper, who is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, our rock. And uh, you know, I say those are the three players to come out and keep an eye on and, and see how things go with them and you'll see how things go with the team. All right, Coach, I started my broadcasting career as an SID, a press officer for U.S. soccer, so I respect great SIDs. Joseph Arancio, he has been outstanding every time I've rolled in there. He was the one that uh, reminded me of your quality program. It's nice to have good SIDs, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Joe does a phenomenal job for our program. He does a phenomenal job for all the programs here. You know, and, and really works to to promote the athletes and do everything he can do to to make sure each sport is being recognized the way that they deserve to be. Now, is it too cold for the ice cream truck to roll around, or is that still happening? <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm not sure if it's still happening right now. It, it may be. I mean, the weather's still you know 70 degrees right now, so I, I think it still could be out on a day like today. Free ice cream at High Point University. It's a special place. I'm so proud of what it's done for my son and so proud of the soccer programs there. Really a pleasure to be with you. We'll be pulling for you. Hope you make that tournament, and who knows, maybe you'll shock the world in the first or second round. That'd be pretty nice, Marty. That'd be awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Dean. I really appreciate it. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com. Time now to talk D2 soccer, and we start on the men's side with the number one team in the country. Wingate is 13-0 under the direction of Gary Hamill, who has been Wingate University's director of soccer and their head men's soccer coach. This is his 25th year as the head men's soccer coach. Gary, thanks for being with us. No, pleasure. Thank you for having me on. 13-0, and 0, number one, kind of the right time of the season to be number one. I know you want it to be at the end, but clearly your team is peaking. Yeah, it certainly is. It's a great time to, to be there, obviously, towards the end of the season. It's, um, it's exciting going into the last two or three weeks. All right, talk to us about uh, Wingate University, Wingate, North Carolina. I actually live in Chapel Hill. I'm not totally sure where Wingate is. Tell us about uh, what makes Wingate so special. Uh, we're located about 30 minutes east of Charlotte. Um, I tell people we're halfway between the, the ocean and the city. 
it's obviously a small time. Uh, we've got a great school and a great program that obviously has kept me here for 25 years. Uh, it must be doing something right. Now, if I have this right, and this bio is not totally updated, you came into the season at 287, 150, and 25. That means with those 13 wins, you're at 300. Am I doing my math right? I think so. I think so. I think the 300th win came the other night, Saturday night, against Lenore Ryan. So it's been one of those roller coaster two weeks for the program. Did they do something special for you, Coach? What happened when you won 300? Uh, well, the, the nice gesture came from the Lenore Ryan Sports Information that announced it after the game. So I thought that was a class act. All right. You're from Belfast, Northern Ireland. You obviously came over to the States a long time ago. Talk about that decision. How did that happen? Well, you know, it, it was. Uh, I, I came over to go to the College of Charleston, South Carolina. You know, I'm from Orangefield Boys High School, which has some some of the collegiate greats like Barry Borman, Alan Dawson, Trevor Adair. So we all sort of came from the same high school, and you know, I thought it would be exciting to follow in Alan and Trevor's footsteps. And I believe Trevor was at South Carolina at that point, so that there was a connection between high school and you know, Barry Gorman and Alan Dawson. So I took the plunge and came on over in 1985. Well, those are some big names. I've done a lot of Barry Gorman games at Penn State, done some Alan Dawson games at ODU, and obviously know what Trevor did at Clemson as well. I wish we could joke and say that you played for Ralph Lundy at the College of Charleston. That would be a good one, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that would be a good one, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, Ralph came in my would have been my last year. So, I mean, I'm following in some great footsteps there, aren't I? Oh, that's incredible. All right. Obviously, you love Wingate, though. 25 years. You've also coached the women for a couple years. Talk about uh, that process. You've been there you know, in the athletic administration as well. I mean, you've done a little bit of everything, including women's soccer. Yeah, I've done a little bit of everything at Wingate. You know, I mean, my philosophy when I got here was to, obviously, to, to help them grow in every aspect. And I'm a team player, you know, when things needed to be done, I jumped in and, you know, obviously I was an associate AD for 15 years also. Yeah, so it, it's one of those things, it's, it's a great place, a great university, you know, some great people, and that's probably the reason that I've stayed for so long. I mean, we, we call it home and it's home to me now. All right, well, that is certainly well said. I know your team as well. You have a nice little mixture of international players as well with some talented American players. That's key to a successful D2 team, isn't it, Coach? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's you can't reinvent the wheel of Division Two. You know, our, our key is, is to pick up some international players that can, you know, fill in for the American players that we not necessarily can get. And it's quite difficult in North Carolina with so many you know, Division One and Division Two schools. So we have a really, really nice mix of American kids and kind of quite a few internationals from different countries, and it's it helps blend the team together. Well, clearly you're rolling 13-0. and I think you're outscoring your opposition 37-6, to if I remember correctly. So you're scoring lots of goals. You're not letting goals in. That's a pretty good formula to win a national championship. What's got to go right for you guys to hold that trophy over your head at the end of the season, Coach? Well, like any other team, you know, in college soccer or even any other league in the world, you know, we need a little bit of luck there. You know, that always goes in your favor. And we've, we've had a little bit here and there um, over the last three or four games. You know, the, the team's well-grinded. You know, we remind them every day that it's, you know, one game at a time. And obviously in our sport, as you well know, things can go wrong very, very quickly. 
Um, so we're just keeping them grinded and focused on, on, you know, our next game Saturday. And after that, we'll take one at a time from there on out. All right. Obviously, in 25 years now, the director of soccer, that's got to mean, at least to me, that you've got some great assistant coaches and have had some great assistant coaches. How important is it for a successful program to have big time assistant coaches? Oh, it's absolutely massive. You know, I mean, I've got two great guys on staff and a GA on staff. And, you know, they after 25 years, you know, they take a lot of the workload off you as the old body starts to wear down. And, you know, they're they're young, they're enthusiastic, they keep the kids enthusiastic, and, you know, they help the old man make decisions when decisions have to be made. <laughs> I love that. Well, you're here as part of the NSCA College Soccer Podcast. Not sure if you know it or not, but this is show number nine. Of course, the NSCA for years did the College Soccer Game of the Week and now trying to go mainstream with this podcast. You mentioned Barry Gorman, who is still a friend of the NSCAA and does so much work for them. Talk about uh, what the NSCA has meant to you and your development over here in the United States. Oh, it's been massive. The NSCAA, I, I believe I joined it back in 1993. So, I mean, I'm working on 24 years, I believe, with the organization. It's phenomenal. I mean, it gives us our voice for coaches. And I still believe we're the, still the biggest coaches organization in the world. You know, the education side of things, you know, I've, I've taken a couple of licenses with them, including my premier license. And, you know, I, I think it's just such a great development Um for young coaches and old guys because, I mean, it's, it's great to have the reunion once a year with everybody at the convention. And I mean, it's a top-notch organization that's probably one of the best, you know, worldwide. I love the uh, sort of mantra of Wingate, champions in life. Obviously, that means the academic side is also pretty important. That must mean something to you. But when you say champions in life, that resonates, Coach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... You know, and I buy into the philosophy of our, our our slogan, and, you know, we try to develop kids that, you know, are going to go on and graduate with a degree and be successful in life. And one of our biggest things in the program is, is to make sure that all of our, you know, student-athletes understand that this is a game. You know, your life isn't, and we help to prepare them for for things after college soccer and after they, they've earned a university degree and I'll stick by it. It's more important to me, you know, to have the graduation, to have the the good job. And, it, you know, it's fantastic. Two weeks ago we, we had an alumni event and, you know, a lot of our former players came back and, you know, we ran a kids clinic on the Saturday morning and it was quite frightening to see about 15, 20 little kids running around that have been a direct impact from, you know, players and male and female. That That's more important than anything, I believe. Well, that's well said. Champions in life. I'm sure you'll take those 300 wins with you as well, though, as we're fresh off. You're getting number 300. Congratulations on your success. 13 and all. You know the drill. You win them all. You're a national champion. We hope you get it done, Coach. Thanks for being with us here on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for all you do. Okay, great to visit with Gary Hamill, the number one team in the country for D2 men in D2 women. Western Washington University, 15-0-1, remains at number one. Grand Valley State University, they won it the last two years at number two. And Westchester University still in at number three. The coaches of all three of those teams have been on this program. University of Central Missouri at number four. Columbus State University is at number five. Adelphi at number six. And we come 
come back, we'll switch to D3. Stay with us here on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Having some fun, everybody. The 2017 NSCAA convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com. Next, we talk D3 soccer. First on the men's side, Mike Baps has the University of Chicago still at number one. Of course, Mike joined us a few weeks ago. They're 15-0-0. Franklin and Marshall College, my wife's alma mater, is number two under the direction of Dan Wagner. Let's go Diplomats. And Ohio Northern is number three, followed by Amherst College and Trinity of Texas. Remember that school because as we switch to D3 women's soccer, William Smith College, led by Alice Ann Wilbur, is still number one. And, well, Trinity University is number three. And Dylan Harrison, in just his first year as the top man, has his team rolling. They have outscored the opposition. Get this, folks, 75-4. to rolling to a 16-0-0 record, and Dylan joins me now. Dylan, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Your first year as the head coach, going back to your alma mater to replace a man who you actually played with at Trinity, Lance Key, who's now with Ange Kelly at Texas. You're down at Nichols. You get the call. Tell us how all of that took place and getting the call to come back to your alma mater. Yeah, I mean, I'll be completely honest. You know, felt like uh, over the last seven years down at Nichols, felt like we're really working hard to build something special. Um, had, had some great teams, had the opportunity to go ahead and, and make some, some big improvements with the program down there. And to be honest, wasn't really looking at the time, but you know, obviously when, uh, when you have your, your former coach and one of your true mentors uh, with Paul McGinley from the men's side give you a call, but position opening up and knowing the quality of program that Lance as a former teammate ran, uh, is a call I feel at least very least had to answer and, and consider for sure. I've read a quote from you. It says, if, if you've ever been to Trinity, you know what attracts everyone to the place. What is it? What attracts everyone to the place? Yeah, you know, it, it's hard to kind of put a finger on any one thing. Um, you know, it can, it can be the fact that we're a little bit of an isolated, beautiful campus in the middle of a big city, which is kind of rare for Division Three. Uh, it could be the fact that, you know, the academics are are obviously the focus of the university but at the same time you know we, we have some of the some some great facilities and and take our athletics just as serious as our academics uh, we feel that you can be very good at both um, and I think that's a reflection of where our programs and where our uh, athletic department as a whole has has been for a number of years and we hope to continue to stay up there as well mentioned it already you replaced Lance Key who you said you overlapped with as a player for a couple years what did he say to you about the job opportunity did you talk to him about it at all coach oh absolutely I'd be be uh, silly not to talk to him you know obviously uh one of Lance's biggest biggest uh concerns was making sure that somebody was able to come in and and give the program the the care and the attention that it needed in terms of you know Lance spent a, a huge part of his career uh, as a player obviously and then as a coach uh committed to trinity and so he's worked very very hard and he wanted to see the tradition continue of of just continued success 
so in our conversations with Lance, you know, obviously I, I had some some questions about the program, where they're at, and and where he saw it continuing to go. Uh, and I think one of the things that kind of sold me on it was just the simple statement that Lance made. No matter what happens, he wants to see the current players taken care of, uh, and that that was something that was very important to me because um, I feel that that's a big reason that both Lance and myself have gotten into the in, into the profession for sure. Well, great success at Nichols State University in Louisiana. I also see that uh, you mentored the 97 Louisiana Girls Olympic Development Team from 2012 to 2015. So it's clear early on you had made the decision that coaching women worked for you. Talk about that decision and how that happened. Yeah, and and to be honest, uh, it wasn't a decision I made right away. Um, I was actually right out of college. I had the opportunity to work under uh, Dennis Currier, who was a great mentor, uh, at Incarnate Word on the men's side. Um, walking into that situation was kind of special in the fact that we even had, uh, I think, about five current players who were older than me as as, as the coach. Uh, so that made for a pretty interesting dynamic uh, within, within the coaching side. Uh, and then an opportunity popped up to work with another coach that I respected quite a bit, Nick Cowell, uh, who's currently um, coaching one of the top teams in the country at St. Ed's. Uh, on the women's side, um, I wasn't sure if it was really the right fit for me, uh, but I just kind of took a took a chance with a great opportunity, knowing I was going to be able to work with Coach Cal. And pretty early on, I feel like it, it kind of fit my demeanor. It fit um, what I wanted to go ahead and accomplish as a coach, and it fit kind of the, even the lifestyle that I wanted to lead as well as coach, uh, being able to go ahead and, and work with some of the very best um, students and athletes and been fortunate enough to do that. Well, clearly your team is loaded. 75 goals for four against. Did I read that right? I mean, you guys are crushing teams. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think uh, I think we've done some, some good things uh, in terms of going ahead and, and putting teams under pressure. Um, we, if I, I haven't even looked recently, but if I had to guess, uh, I think probably even the more impressive part would be the number of different players we've had score goals. Uh, it's it's you know it's not just a two three person kind of com- committee. Uh, it really is across the board. So I know that's made it very difficult for teams to go ahead and, and match up and really try to figure out where to stop where to stop us. Um, and then on the other side, defensively, again we've gone ahead and put put pressure higher up the field. So we haven't had to deal with too many chances. And unfortunately, probably if uh, would say we have kind of one weakness uh, I hate to admit it but probably uh, three of the four goals have come off of free kicks so we're, we're definitely focusing on cleaning those up <laughs> making sure that we continue to get better yeah get to work on that maybe you'll even talk to Paul McGinley who was your coach now in his 26th season we mentioned Trinity men's soccer team also in the top five and you don't see that every day where both teams men and women are in the top five talk about your relationship with coach McGinley uh, coach, coaches, and I have a special relationship. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to be part of his ODP team when I was 13. Um, so I've, I've, I've obviously known him for quite some time. I can even say he's the one that got me into coaching in the first place. Uh, and so for him to even consider me to come back for this type of opportunity and to to be you know, a, a voice for me throughout the whole process of uh, applying for the position uh, and, the, and the confidence basically from a mentor to say, hey, I want to work side by side with you and, and helping run a program, knowing that we do influence each other a little bit. Um, and, it, and it's been great in the fact that hopefully our influence continues, that we're, we're both pushing each other to, to continue to be the best. 
So, Dylan, here you are on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast, and one of the keys to this podcast is paying attention to every level, including Division Three, which continues to produce quality players and, even more importantly, quality people. The NSCAA has always done a good job of recognizing every level of soccer. Have you experienced that, Dylan? Yeah, I have, and you know, I, I can I can attest to it in the fact that I've been involved personally, been involved at every division, uh, e- even as a coach. Um, and I know that our relationship with the NCAA has continued, and they've been able to go ahead and offer us uh, the same services across the board. And I think I think it does a great job of going ahead and allowing our current students who are looking at different universities to say, hey, this is what's available to us, and and we're gonna go ahead and benefit uh, from a lot of the same, whether it's recognition or anything, like rankings, wh- whatever it might be, no matter what level we play. And so we, we get the recognition we deserve uh, for the sacrifices that we make, because no doubt at every level, the same sacrifices have to be made by the students. And, and that's great that they're able to go ahead and get the recognition as well. Finally, if you shore up that weakness on those free kicks, as we kind of laugh about it, it's outscoring your team 75-4. to four. Do you have a team that could win a D3 national championship? Haven't been involved uh, in in the whole D3 uh, recently, uh, but I will say I, I do like this team. I do believe in this team. We believe in ourselves, uh, and in really the the next thing for us is just continue to go ahead and move forward with that belief and, and get better every day. And give ourselves the confidence to go ahead and compete with anybody on any given day, which I feel we can. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. Here's your snapshot of the NJCAA D3 scene. First for women, SUNY Broome Community College is number one, followed by Cerritos College and Richland College. On the men's NJCAA D3 ranking, Sean Worley, featured last week, still has Richland at number one, followed by Fresno City College and Herkimer College. On the NJCAA Division I men's side, Steve Clemens, who has been on this program, still has Tyler at number one, followed by Monroe College, Bronx, Iowa Western, Parkland and Yavapai. And on the women's side, a little bit of movement here is now joining John Ruzan, who's been on the program in Paradise Valley Community College at number one, is Butler Community College, led by Adam Hunter, who in nine years at the helm of Butler Soccer, Hunter coming into this season has compiled a 161, 39, and 8 record, adds 17 more wins and just two losses to that tally. In 2015, Hunter guided the Grizzlies to their fifth consecutive appearance in the NJCAA National Championship championships including final four appearances in 2013 and 2015 and adam hunter joins me now adam thanks for being with us glad to be here tied for number one in the country late in the season how's that sound to you coach well i think it's a reflection of the the work that our kids have put in um you know we're happy to be there and just uh, trying to put ourselves in a position where we can get a good seed going into the tournament if we're fortunate enough to advance all right, you're an alumnus of Butler. You've been served your entire college career in the KJCCC, winning your 200th game last fall. So clearly Butler means a lot to you. What makes the place so special to you, Coach? Well, it's home. Um, you know, I grew up uh, in the area, uh, came to school here. It was a great opportunity for me to get an education at an affordable rate um, and put me in a position to go on and transfer to a four-year institution and, and pursue you know, my passion of 
playing and, and coaching collegiate soccer. Well, clearly you have a passion for coaching. You've got your U.S. Soccer National C license, but also pleased to see that you have your NSCAA Premier Diploma, your Goalkeeper 3 Diploma, and your NSCAA Director of Coaching Diploma. So you've been through all the courses, Coach. Yeah, I have. I started that, uh, to be honest, when I got into college coaching uh, back in 2001. I didn't have coaching education, and, and a good friend of mine, Joe Berger, who's an assistant at Bradley, uh, kind of turned me on to, to coaching education, and I started my coaching education with the NSCAA, and I decided that I wanted to do every step that was available at the time. I think that was the state and the regional and those courses, and took most of the courses through the Midwest and uh, felt like I became a much better coach because of coaching education and being able to transfer that knowledge uh, to the players and have them be able to to kind of answer the questions of why and when and where and what. Um, and so I'm very appreciative of the NSCAA and and their their mantra to, to educate coaches. Well, please let Joe Berger know that you're on the program. I was actually with Joe Berger for a couple of weeks in Europe back in 2014 as we covered the World Cup from a European point of view. He's a great guy, and that was a great experience. Yeah, like I said, he got me turned on to coaching education and got me turned into the Olympic Development Program and got me on the staff there. So he's been uh, an instrumental uh, figure in my coaching career. All right, you started the season with a couple losses, although you were playing some big-time teams. Now you've run off 17 in a row. How'd that light go off after those first two games? Well, we always try to to play uh, a difficult schedule in the beginning of the season because we're from one of the bigger conferences in the NJCAA, so we know that a lot of our schedule is going to be eaten up by the conference. And so it's it's our goal to try to play other ranked teams throughout the country and, and have that schedule kind of be our measuring stick of where we are going into the conference schedule. Um, and, you know, we went down to Eastern Florida State, and we're, that was a one versus two to kick off the, the season. And, and Northern Oklahoma, those were our first two games, and, you know, we were in both of those games, and, and the game, I think, could have went either way, but it really kind of set the table for where we were. Um, and I think kind of the turning point was was getting that win against Tyler and, and Corey's team down in Oklahoma and, and kind of, you know, materializing that we are the program that can be in the conversation for, you know, trying to win a national championship. And so... The, the the early schedule set us up for success, and then we've had a lot of success in our league. Um, and so we're just uh, going into the postseason hoping that we're peaking at the right time, but a lot of it is always predicated off of those games that we play early in the year against other quality-ranked programs like the Eastern Florida States and the Tylers of the world. Before you came on the program, you talked about the fact you had a great practice as you gear up for the postseason. You know, for uh, the last six years, you've won 21-plus games, so clearly a national championship is the prize. Do you got the talent to get it done, Coach? You know, I think we do. Um, you know, early in the year, we were we were giving up too many goals, um, but... And that's always the the difficult part, I think, starting the season and then installing a system of play and the way you want to defend at our level because there's such a high turnover in your roster every year. But we've kind of got that sorted out. Um, I think we're a team that was always going to score goals, um, and it was just a matter of figuring out how to keep the ball out of our own goal. 
and we've been able to do that now and had a lot of success at holding our opponents to, to very few opportunities. So I think if we can continue to do what we've done defensively and, and still be fortunate and efficient on the attacking end, I think we'll have a good shot. All right, here you are coaching women's soccer, and you're also the director of coaching for the Kansas Rush Wichita program, and then you have three daughters as well, all members of them, which is kind of funny. When did you know that uh, women's soccer was uh, your cup of tea? Well, I think that um, it kind of started in my coaching career when I was out in Dodge City. Um, you know, we I was hired as the high school coach there and, and had a men's program and a women's program. The men's program had already been established at the high school, and and I started the women's program and was able to to find success after just a few short years of having a startup program. Um, and then after three or four years and not winning a game, our first year to win in conference championships in consecutive years, I was hired by Dodge City Community College to start up a men's and women's program. And the success I was having at the high school with the girls quickly translated to the junior college because I was able to get a lot of those players to continue to play for me. And so, you know, I don't know that it was by design necessarily. I just started to have more success on the women's side um, early in my coaching career. And then, (laughs) you know, by divine intervention, we have three daughters. (laughs) I want to spend a lot of time with uh, with them, and a lot of my time is taken by being at the fields, and so that was a great way for for me to continue to have constant contact with my own kids by by coaching them. Um, and so I've coached a lot of uh, youth club teams on the girls' side as well. So just, I guess, by luck of the draw, early in my career, having success on the women's side and then having three daughters, it just kind of... Um, went that way i guess you would say yeah brooklyn london and milan sound like they're great players as well we got to know though do you have a man cave you got any retreat at all for some man time oh i'll tell you what with with all the things that uh, are going on in in my professional life and our family life uh there's not a lot of time Uh, i'm (laughs) I'm around females uh a lot of hours a day a lot of days a week but uh i wouldn't have it any other way Certainly, you know, going back to your alma mater now, as we've said, uh, you're approaching double-digit years at Butler. Sounds like uh, you could stay there for a long, long time. Is that right, Coach? Well, I think, as I said earlier, it's home. Our institution uh, has an invested value in, in athletics and what that can provide to the student-athlete. Um, we have great facilities, some of the best facilities in all of junior college. You know, we're fortunate enough to play in a $12 million stadium that we opened up in 2012. We've got an on-campus field uh, that we train on. We've got an indoor turf facility. Um, and so our facilities, coupled with our location, you know, we're just right outside of Wichita, which is a little bit over a half million in the metro. Um, you know, it just sets us apart, I think, from a lot of other community colleges in terms of location and investment in, in athletic programs with the resources that we put into it. So, you know, that helps us be successful. I don't want to take credit for, for everything. Our institution has made a decision that we're not just going to have a women's soccer program. We're going to make an investment in that. And so it's a good place to be. Uh, as I said, it's home. My wife and I's parents both live within 10 minutes of where we are now. I mean, how many people can say that? Mm. Um, so it would have to be something pretty special to 
to get me to walk away from Butler at this point. Clean living in El Dorado, Kansas. Adam Hunter, the very successful coach for the Butler Grizzlies women's soccer team, number one in the country right now at the NJCAA Division One level women's soccer. Adam, pleasure getting to spend some time with you. Thanks for being with us on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Dean, I appreciate it. I appreciate you doing this to, to promote our game. We wrap up the show with Chad Waller breaking down NAIA men's and women's soccer. Chad joins us next. By being a member of the NSCAA, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game. Welcome to the NSCA podcast for the week of October 26th. I'm Chad Waller giving you exciting information again on all news around NAIA women's soccer. Let's get started. As we near the final regular season weekend of conference action around NAI women's soccer, the heat is on all across the country. Beginning the year, 196 women's soccer programs are now vying for one of the 23 automatic berths to be handed out for the NAI National Championship opening round. An automatic berth is earned by either winning that conference's regular season championship or conference tournament championship. Many of those NAI conference tournaments begin next week, so this weekend will be an indicator of how those tournaments will shake out across NAI women's soccer. In the latest NAI Coaches Top 25 poll, Spring Arbor rolls to its eighth straight number one ranking. The Cougars are riding an unbelievable 35-match unbeaten streak as it's already secured its sixth straight Crossroads League regular season title. During that 35-match unbeaten streak, the Cougars are 34-0-1 as the defending national champions are vying for their second straight national title. A remarkable stat about Spring Arbor this year is how their offense has scored 63 goals while their defense has allowed just three during the course of the regular season. The 35-match unbeaten streak for Spring Arbor is not the longest all-time in the NAI. The Cougars sit at number five all-time behind the 37 undefeated streak behind former member Azusa Pacific. The all-time leader is Mobile at 48 unbeaten matches during the 99 and 2000 seasons. Looking at the top 25 a little bit further, number 25 Southeastern University is this week's newcomer in NAI women's soccer. This marks the first time in Southeastern's program history the fire has been ranked in the coaches top 25. There are still four undefeated teams in women's soccer around the NAI. Spring Arbor, of course, as they join Davenport University with a 15-0-1 mark, followed by Kaiser University at 14-0-0 and Biola University at 13-0-1. Looking at individuals around the NAI, Bethany Balser of Spring Arbor University has been named the NAI National Women's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week, and Rachel Hardin of Dalton State University has been named the NAI National Women's Soccer Defensive Player of the Week. In two matches this past week, Balser recorded eight goals, tallying 16 points for Spring Arbor. Balser posted a Spring Arbor program record six goals as she led the Cougars to an 11-1 victory over Bethel College out of Indiana and has led the Cougars to a Crossroads League regular season title for the sixth straight time. On the season, Belser has recorded 21 goals and 8 assists. Looking at defensively, in one match last week, Hardin recorded 12 saves in 103 minutes against Bernau. She posted a career-high 12 saves in the 1-0 victory over Bernau and now ranks 5th in the Southern States Athletic Conference in goals against average. 
looking at the NAI goals leader this year. Again, topping the list is Julia Skojan of Fisher College and has an NAI best 28 goals in 14 matches. She has tallied 100 career goals and needs nine more to crack the NAI women's soccer top 10 career goals list. Congratulations to Julia. That's NAIA women's soccer from Chad Waller. Now his report on NAIA men's soccer. As we near the final regular season weekend of conference action around NAIA men's soccer, action heats up as we are on the stretch run of men's soccer. 197 men's soccer programs in the NAIA are vying for one of the 24 automatic berths to be handed out for the NAIA National Championship opening round. An automatic berth is earned by either winning that conference's regular season championship or conference tournament championship, which will then head out to the national championship opening round. Many of those NAIA conference tournaments begin next week. In the latest NAIA coaches top 25 poll, Oklahoma Wesleyan remains dominant as the Eagles are number one for the sixth straight week. The Eagles have not suffered a loss since September of 2015, which is an undefeated streak of 30 straight wins or ties. The Eagles' undefeated streak is tied for the seventh longest in NAI history, and one more win or tie would catch the Lindsey Wilson program that didn't lose in 31 straight matches during the 98 and 99 campaigns. The all-time NAI record for undefeated streak is 66 straight by Rio Grande during the 02-03-04 seasons. Looking at this year for Oklahoma Wesleyan in 15 matches, the Eagles own 10 shutouts. And just as incredible, the offense has outscored the opposition by a 48-6 scoring mark. With three matches remaining in the regular season, Oklahoma Wesleyan holds a two-game lead over second-place Kansas Wesleyan in the Kansas Collegiate Athletic Conference standings. The Eagles face Tabor next on Wednesday. Five teams still remain undefeated in NAI men's soccer. The aforementioned Oklahoma Wesleyan Eagles at 14-0-1, Hastings College at 16-0-0, number 7-ranked Campbellsville 12-0-2, number 10-ranked Bryan at 13-0-3, and Evergreen State out of Washington at 8-0-4. Tied with Oklahoma Wesleyan for the seventh longest unbeaten streak at 30 straight wins or ties in the NAI history is 7th-ranked Campbellsville University. With that 12-0-2 mark this year, Campbellsville is 26-0-4 in their last 30 matches and take their streak into a road tilt at Cumberland's Kentucky on Friday. Number 24, Olivet Nazarene, and number 25, Madonna, are this week's newcomers in the top 25. Olivet Nazarene is a top 25 team for the first time since last year, while Madonna is mentioned for the first time since August of 2009. So congratulations to both of those programs. Aleski Pacaselo of Lindsey Wilson has been named the NAI National Men's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week, and Alex Horton of Bryan College has been named the NAI National Men's Soccer Defensive Player of the Week. In two matches this past week, Pacaselo recorded four goals and one assist for the Blue Raiders as he tallied nine points. He recorded a hat trick against Pikeville, marking his 12th multi goal game of his career. This is Pacaselo's second Player of the Week nationally this year. Defensively, in goal in three matches last week, Horton recorded three saves in 318 minutes, allowing only two goals. Horton notched a shutout against then number seven Campbellsville, marking his ninth shutout on the year. Looking at the NAI goals leader this year, again on top of that list is Daniel Whitehall of Hastings College as he continues to lead the NAI with 25 goals in 16 matches. Next on the scoring list is Jao Costa of Chewett McConnell with 23 goals on the year. The assist leader in the NAI currently is Andrew Higgins of Indiana Tech with 16 assists in 15 matches. Reese Weldon of Kaiser University is close behind with 12 helpers in 12 matches. 
Needing more NAI soccer news? Make sure to check out NAI.org and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram using the hashtag NAI soccer. Well done, Chad Waller, and what a great show. I want to thank all of our guests. USA Women's Under-20 World Cup coach Michelle French. Good luck in Papua New Guinea next month, Michelle. NSCAA Director of Operations and Events Jeff Van Dusen talking convention. Wisconsin men's soccer coach John Trask. High Point women's soccer coach Marty Beal. D2 men's Wingate coach Gary Hamill, number one in the country. Number three, D3 women's coach from Trinity, Texas, in his first year, Dylan Harris. Harrison, NJCAA Division One, number one in the women from Butler Community College, and their head coach Adam Hunter, and our NAIA guru Chad Waller. What a great show! We'll see you next week right here on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. I'm Dean Linky. Thanks for listening. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com.